How can equine-assisted psychotherapy and the use of music as a tool of healing benefit those in need of stress reduction and wellness? Let's talk all about it right here on episode 297 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. In these days of the COVID-19 pandemic, we're disseminating as much high-quality evidence-based information and opinion as we can in our monthly COVID-19 update episodes. Meanwhile, we still want to support you and your personal and professional development by discussing salient issues of the day and maybe things you've never even thought of. I love having you along for the ride, whether you're new to the show or you've been on this journey with me for months or years. Thanks for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. This podcast is, of course, all about you, your nursing and healthcare career, and healthcare writ large. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, healing, medicine, and beyond. And remember, Nurse Keith Coaching is your one-stop shop for all things related to your healthcare career. I offer individualized, holistic career coaching for nurses and healthcare professionals. Give me a ring at keith at nursekeith.com. Well, not a ring. Send me an email at keith at nursekeith.com and mention the show and you can get 10% off your first coaching package. The show notes for this episode, which you're going to want to look at, will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 297. And today we're joined by new friends of the pod, Janet Lombardo and Susan Young. Janet and Susan, we'll get to your stellar bios in due course, but we're going to dive right in to talk about horse and harp. And Janet, how did you first come to combine Horses and Harps in the Interest of Healing and Wellness. Well, Keith, everywhere you look, there are people facing heartache and pain from the challenges of life. There are broken hearts all around us. And throughout my life, I've had two passions, music being one and the love of horses being the other. In addition, my background in healthcare prompted that compassionate, nurturing element that so many of us in healthcare are blessed to have. And that combined with my Christian faith and a desire to help and serve others formulated this idea of how could we help the hurting? How could we come alongside that person in need who is trying to take steps toward wholeness, trying to take steps toward restoration, but they just need someone to come and put a hand on their shoulder. And once I learned about equine-assisted psychotherapy, the blending with the harp, it just all fell together in a beautiful combination to create our unique horse and harp program. Wow. And I know you've worked 37 years as a healthcare professional and a clinical operations leader. So was this, what was your, what was your role in the healthcare realm or still is your healthcare um, Well, I'm very recently retired from a career in orthotics and prosthetics. Uh, My undergraduate work was as an elementary education teacher and a teacher of the handicapped, and I was a special ed teacher initially, and then transitioned, and for the past 37 years, I have been in prosthetics and orthotics, both as a clinician and as a program leader. 
Wow. So, so you're coming from the world where you've been interfacing with healthcare providers, and I guess you've seen the ways in which healthcare providers can be having a hard time in the world. And so you realize that you had something between your faith, your love of music, your love of, of people who work helping others to heal and be well, plus your work as a musician and a recording artist that seemed to all come together. And now in retirement, this can be one of your main focuses in life, right? That's correct. That's correct. And I, I certainly have experienced the stresses of healthcare, both from the administrative end and from the direct patient care side as well. I see. And thank you. And Susan, Susan Young. So you have a, a BA in psychology and a it's an MED and an EDS in counseling from the University of Florida. So you're by training a psychotherapist, correct? Right. I am a. I was a school counselor for a long time, and now I'm uh, in private practice. Yeah, and you're both in the northern Georgia, right? You're in the Atlanta oh, yeah. area, more or less. Right. Mm-hmm. And how did the horse and harp world come? in your direction? How did this connection happen? How did you get involved? Well, I had worked with Janet uh, at another, uh, with another facility with the Children's Health Care of Atlanta, and we became friends, and we've done a lot together. And uh, when she came up with the idea of the horse and the harp, I had the horses. So, oh, you're the horse person. I'm so the horse person also, yes. Janet has a love of horses. And maybe, uh-huh. Janet, were you one of those 11-year-old girls who just wanted a pony <laughs> and your parents wouldn't get you one? And I thought <laughs> I had the meanest parents in the whole wide world because, to me, our backyard looked like the perfect environment to keep a horse. But, yes, I uh, I rode as a teen and in my early 20s and then came back to horseback riding uh, much later in my 50s, actually, I resumed horseback riding again. And it was through that that I developed an equestrian program that was supported through Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, where I was an employee. And uh, that is how I met Susan. And I see. She explained, yeah, she explained to me, she started as a volunteer for the events I was holding for children's. And then I became exposed to the work that she had been doing for years with equine assisted psychotherapy. And I thought, wow, this is really something powerful here. Wow. Now I've never had anyone on the show to talk about equine assisted psychotherapy before. So Susan, I'm so glad you're here with us with Janet and me. And so first I just want to point out that that EAP equine-assisted psychotherapy is mm-hmm. also the term we, or the initials we use for employee assistance right. program in, <laughs> in most any workplace. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't it be great if when your boss said, I think you should go to EAP, they're actually sending you to equine-assisted psychotherapy. I've had some do that, so that, that's <laughs> well, worked. <laughs> that would be a really good thing. Yes. So Susan, can you give us a little background on where this EAP came from? Where did equine-assisted psychotherapy, where were its origins? Well, it originated with just um, animal-assisted therapies, and then it has evolved into equine. And it's been around for a long time, um, but there's several major um, organizations now that do certifications. 
And I use the EGALA model, which is a, um, a two-team, a, a mental health person and equine specialist and the horse. And that's our treatment team. And it's all on the ground. There's no riding involved. And we just uh, have clients tell their stories. The horses are very sensitive to um, all kinds of emotions and give us a lot of feedback about the client as well as give the client a lot of feedback. I see. Now, let me back up one step. Um, EGALA, E-A-G-A-L-A. Right. And you're a licensed professional counselor and EGALA certified. So yes. EGALA is an organization or is it a or is it a form of treatment? It is an organization that is in 45 countries around the world. But it also, we call it the EGALA model. And that's the, the model that we use that is the... Uh, the team approach on the ground. We have a very strict code of ethics and we use a solution focused type therapy. I see an EGALA must be equine assisted growth and learning association, growth and learning association. Okay, great. So you mentioned that when you're working with a client, you call them clients, right? Mm -hmm. Just like any psychotherapist, they're not patients. Um, there's no riding involved. Right. And that would be great for me because I've ridden a few times and I don't really enjoy riding horses, but I like mm -hmm. being in their presence. Mm -hmm. I like touching them. I like talking to them and just being around them and brushing them. But I, I, riding has never really floated my boat. So when the person is spending time with you and with the horse, what, what actually happens? Like what you said, they tell their story and the, the horse is sensitive, but can you give any listener who's curious a little insight into how that, how the magic happens there? Well, we believe that all of the, um, the clients that come to us have answers within themselves about what they need to do. And the horse being super sensitive and, um, is is with them uh, in the arena the horses are loose they're not con uh, contained or or under any kind of constraints and they're just free to move about and be natural horses hmm. so the clients go out and they spend time with the horses sometimes we have some activities we might have some tasks for them to do uh, for example i was just with a lady a few minutes ago and um, we asked her to kind of create she was having a trust issue, and we asked her to kind of create in the arena what that looked like in her life. Mm -hmm. And so she went out and, and created it, and then she had the horse go along with her and came back, and she said, I think I know what I'm doing now. I think I know what I need to do. So it just it happens um, sometimes without even noticing it first, but it's um, a very powerful kind of therapy. So Susan, that sounds like a really powerful experience, something I feel like I would like to experience. And when you said the client went out into the arena with the horse and created the situation, I'm just picturing it in my mind. Do you know what it reminds me of? And you, you may agree or maybe not. It reminds me of sand tray therapy, how there's a form of psychotherapy where the therapist will have thousands and thousands of little objects and, and statues and toys, and the person can take the sand tray and create a situation, almost like a little mini psychodrama. And it feels like the horse provides for the person this ability to have this, this solid being right there who's so beautiful and, and sensitive. Is that part of what the magic 
is when that happens? Yes, and, and sometimes we ask them to um, name the horse. What would that be? What would that horse be to you as a strength? And then they take the horse with them to whatever the, the metaphor they've created in life, and that horse is a source of strength for them. It's mm, so beautiful. Yes. Yeah. So, Janet, in terms of EAP, equine assisted psychotherapy, was this something you were fully aware of before you met Susan? Or I'm sure you were aware of, you know, there were all, there's all sorts of equine assisted, I've seen, um, not psychotherapy, but um, there's sort of these wellness retreats I've seen, even here in northern New Mexico. So, what was your awareness of the power of this sort of relationship between a person and a horse in, you know, more of like a therapeutic um, milieu? I really had no idea. I was very familiar with therapeutic horseback riding, which is where mm -hmm. an individual who might have a physical disability, a cognitive challenge, or be dealing with PTSD, where they are mm -hmm. taught to ride to the extent that they can achieve independence in that skill. So I was very familiar with that and had volunteered in that arena. And again, it was just through a connection, a mutual friend in the horse world who said, I think you need to learn about what Susan does. And as soon as I heard that it was not mounted, it did not include horseback riding, that mm -hmm. was something that appealed to me. And the fact that the horses are loose in the arena and they are free to move and to react and to provide that feedback to the individuals that are working with them, it just lent a completely different element of bringing the horse into the picture without the fear of getting on it. See, that's why it would work for me. <laughs> um, that It's beautiful. and and. I think there are many of us out there in the world who we have no desire to jump on an animal and ride it, but being around them is just, it's an experience that, that many, many people just, just thrive on and love being around all sorts of animals. And who, who I know you have retreats through horse and harp. So who's best served through the retreats and do they come to you in like tiny, tiny groups as families from companies? Like what, what happens and, and who is drawn to work with you? So we currently come alongside small groups of individuals who are facing a similar life challenge. And okay. most often we do this by collaborating with an existing organization that helps the hurting. And by collaborating with them, we draw our participants, we can accommodate 10 to 12 participants per, per retreat, and the retreat is a full day, and we create and customize the goals for the retreat based on feedback and input from our collaborating program director or point of contact. We set goals for the day. And then Susan creates and decides upon the activities in the EAP, the, the horse activities in the arena, what those are going to look like. And then as I create the HARP-facilitated guided journaling component, those questions will complement um, the activities that the participants have just engaged in with the horses. 
And examples of groups that we have served to date would include women transitioning from incarceration, women rescued from sex trafficking, adolescents who are grieving the loss of a loved one, mothers of medically fragile children. We have had families that are displaced. They are homeless, and they're currently in a program that's moving them into a more stable life relationship. We've had the kids from that displaced situation, and we've had the moms. So those are examples of groups that we have served to date. And now for 2020, we have a specific focus on those in the front lines of COVID-19. And that includes healthcare workers, EMS, 911 workers, fire, police, anyone who has been under this tremendous level of stress brought about by the pandemic. Wow, that is fantastic. And I'm sure there might be a nurse out there listening right now who feels like she or he could really benefit from that. And if anyone happens to live within a day's drive of northern Georgia, in Atlanta, that might be something they, they could actually look into, correct? Yes, and they'd be welcome to reach out. And um, Keith, you are certainly a COVID-19 expert in, in dealing with the healthcare profession. And we see that beginning with the preliminary research that's been done in China mm -hmm. and now preliminary research being done here in the States, that COVID-19 is bringing about a crisis for the mental health of healthcare workers. And, um, there is there's a study that has been accepted for publication. I don't believe it's been published yet, okay. but um, it uh, it was done in in um, combination uh, between uh, Georgia Tech and South Carolina, and the authors made this very powerful statement that, um, and, and I'm quoting them here, what we learned suggests that anyone who identifies as a healthcare professional, whether it is a physician or a support worker in a hospital, is at risk for mental health problems that could be devastating if left untreated. And I'm sorry, that was North Carolina sure, University sure. and Georgia Tech co-authoring. Co and that is, is staggering. And back in April, when we were really on the front end of all this, um, we had psychiatrists addressing this concern of healthcare workers that they keep up a brave front. They keep up a brave front and they are going back into the battle every day. Mm -hmm. And um, but but yet they're they're anxious and, and they're afraid and and there's a sense of impending doom. So we're now starting to measure the actual incidence of depression and stress and anxiety and insomnia and quantify that. And okay. uh, not too long ago, Keith, it was back on uh, August 19th, you had guests on around uh, Project COPE. And yes. one thing I loved about that interview was they were using mixed method research. So not only were they looking at the data, the numbers, but the stories of the healthcare workers are an integral part of the research that's being conducted. And, and I thank exactly. you for having them on. Oh, and they are in South Carolina. They are not far from you. 
Oh, so wow. I think I can introduce you and that might be a really wonderful way for you all to, to interface um, because there's coping in the midst of this pandemic is, is <laughs> we all know it is a lot of work for so many people. And we we have a lot of work to do in terms of making sure that that people get what they need. And that's some um, that was Smith, Hevner, Sullivan, and Ann Blair Kennedy. And they they are working. They work for a university in South Carolina doing this research. So I'll make sure I get you introduced. And they're doing some very important research. So thank you for bringing them up. They're wonderful people. Well, thank you. We're, we're designing a retreat that is specifically about wellness and stress relief for the COVID-19 frontline worker. We're currently um, collaborating with a hospital in Northeast Georgia, and we have had a team of EMS 911 workers who want to come, and they have four staff currently de- dealing with COVID. They are mm-hmm. scrambling themselves, and so we keep moving the date around, but we're trying to to get them in. We're trying to get uh, the nurses down here and providers, um, respiratory therapists. We see this as a long-term need. When we're on the other side, so to speak, when we have an effective vaccine and we have increased effectiveness of therapeutics and availability of them, the general public might say, oh, we're on the other side of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. But the healthcare worker, there is collateral damage there, and it is going to be going on well beyond the point where we have an effective vaccine. And come the spring, come the summer, we want to be available for these professionals and individuals. That's right. Well said. And secondary trauma is is a real thing. We know that even before the pandemic, an average of 400 physicians uh, takes their own lives in the course of one year. And in terms of nurses, we don't have firm numbers, but we know there's quite a few. So there's there's plenty to talk about and plenty of work to do, COVID, pandemic or no, around taking care of healthcare workers. And I wanted to mention, if anyone wanted to listen to the episode you mentioned with the Project COPE mixed method re- uh, methodology research being done on COVID-19 and healthcare providers, that's episode it's a COVID-19-15. So it's my 15th COVID update. So Susan and Janet, when we come back from a quick break, I want to talk about how horses are selected and what their characteristics are, who are used in this sort of work. And if you all have partnered with other organizations or there's organizations, the types that you haven't yet reached who you would like to reach, and also just some other things about horse and harp and some of your plans for the future so we'll be right back with the second half of episode 297 so now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment please consider becoming a patron of the nurse keith show just like other awesome listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support The Nurse Keith Show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to read all about it. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Nurse Keith. 
And if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit. So you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. What an incredible deal. And please head over to nursekeith.com and sign up for my newsletter, which comes out regularly and brings you supportive messages, updates from my blog and my podcast, resources, and all sorts of other stuff. Remember, nursekeith.com, sign up for that newsletter, and you'll also get a free download from me as my gift to you. Anyway, those are my sincere asks today. So now, Let's dig back into today's topic without further ado. Okay, welcome back to the second half of the episode. Remember, the show notes will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 297. Horse and Harp is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and you can actually donate to them tax deductible through the website. So please consider doing that, especially in light of the work that Susan and Janet and everyone else at Horse and Harp are doing in relation to helping healthcare providers like you deal with the stressors of their work and especially the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. So Susan and Janet, before this, we were talking about secondary trauma. We touched a little bit on your faith and how that was part of the vision of bringing this organization into being and how, Janet, how you didn't actually have any interface with with EAP, equine-assisted psychotherapy, prior to you being introduced to Janet, where the magic started to happen. And I just mentioned you're a 501c3, correct? Correct. So people can donate from the website and I'm assuming as a 501c3, you can also apply for grants. So anyone out there who might want to partner with you could potentially get in touch, correct? Yes, absolutely. And my email address can also be available on your uh, website. And Mm -hmm. uh, yes, donating through the website is probably the easiest because you have your tax receipt right there. But please feel free to to reach out to me. with any further questions, and if you have a desire to support a nurse or a healthcare professional here in Georgia, even though you might live much further away. Right. And the website is? www.horseandharp.org. So sometimes... Yeah, it's sometimes it's hard. You think they're saying we're saying heart, H E A R T, but it's harp the instrument, H A R B, horseandharp.org. Beautiful. So, Susan, I mentioned before the break how horses are chosen. I wanted to know how they're chosen in the training they receive to be able to be this big, beautiful, sensitive presence when someone is spending time with them in a therapeutic environment. So how do the horses, how do they come to be in this position? And I'm sure they're paid very well too. Oh, yes. (laughs) That's a good question, Keith. Um, There really is, uh, we use all kinds of horses in our program. Obviously, we would not put an aggressive horse uh, that might bite or kick up, but you know, at the reality is all horses bite and kick, 
but we are not, uh, we don't use horses that typically would do that. But we don't have any, any special training at all because we want them to be as natural as possible. Some horses are more suited just because they're more sensitive and they're more intuitive. Um, there's sometimes when I've used horses that are uh, kind of dull and standoffish and they don't participate very much. And then I have other horses that are totally in your face and try to get between people and um, they get to be real characters and they have real personalities. But all horses um, have the potential of being good therapy horses in this particular model. Uh, like I said, we just don't use aggressive horses um, I might choose, if I had a group of children, I might choose smaller horses, mm -hmm. especially if they're very young children. But most of the time, even the big ones, the big horses do fine with the little kids too. Wow, that's it's beautiful. And yeah, I've seen the miniature horses. They're, they're mm -hmm. beautiful. And I, uh, well, some of my listeners might know that I have a thing for donkeys. And I used to live in a home here in Santa Fe on the outskirts where we had a few donkey neighbors and their land abutted ours. So they would hang out at the fence line knowing that we'd give them carrots when we came home. So they knew to call when we got home. They could see our cars in the driveway. And there's a huge donkey sanctuary in Texas and it's a beautiful place and we give money to them every year and they house up to a thousand donkeys at a time. And I've never heard of them being used therapeutically, but I have to say that that Mary and I used to hang out with these donkeys a lot. We would we had permission to climb the fence and go in the pasture with them, and I would just stand there with them, and we would just talk. And they have a very special kind of presence as well, kind of different than a horse, but they they are equine, so they're in that they're in that yes. general. Um, um, I don't know what you would call it, a genus or species, or, but they're, they're similar in their energy, I believe. I've used donkeys with horses in, in sessions, mm -hmm. and they've done yeah. very well. <laughs> yeah, they're beautiful creatures. Mm -hmm. And people, they have a reputation, of course, from cartoons and movies of being stubborn, but they just have a mind of their own. And yeah. I find to be very, very sensitive creatures. We've used donkeys and mules, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a mule is actually a combination of a donkey and a horse, right? right? And they they can't they can't breed. They actually have to, you can breed a mule from right. a horse and donkey, but they're then they cannot breed themselves. Correct. Yeah. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. So when the horses are involved in a retreat, do you choose a special horse based on the group who's coming? As you just mentioned you might make a specific choice of their children. So do you, do you have certain horses who you know are good with certain types of people? Yes. Uh, I probably am more particular when I'm working with an individual as to which horse I might use, depending okay. on the issue that they're working on. But with groups, we usually have at least two to three, maybe four horses in the arena at one time. And so you have a combination, just like groups of people are all different, then groups of horses are all different too. Hmm. So you liked a lot of variety in the herd that's going to be working with the groups of people. Well, that's an interesting reflection. So if you have a team coming, let's say they work in a, um, in a community health center, right? And it's a fairly chaotic environment and there's lots of personalities and different people and different types of patients coming through and vendors and everybody, right? And they come for a retreat and you have a group of, say, four horses, then 
each horse is going to bring a different energy or different personality, just like if you were at the clinic and there were all sorts of different things happening, right? That's right. That's right. When you mention groups of people and groups of horses, it makes me think of my friends who do medical improv and communication training with groups to help them facilitate communication. So let's say a team of people came from an ICU in Atlanta. They actually got off work and came to (laughs) have a, a retreat at Horse and Heart. Is there, are there things that can be worked out in this, in this type of environment where maybe some communication struggles among the group in that ICU can actually get ironed out in the context of working with the horses? Does that happen? It does. And if we know ahead of time what the issues are, mm-hmm. we can design some activities, specific activities based around communication, uh, teamwork. Uh, problem solving, Mm -hmm. anything that that group might be having some difficulties with. We can actually design activities that would uh, involve interacting with the horses and hopefully resolving some of the issues. That's Wow, that sounds fascinating. And I can only imagine the research that could be done, um, you know, if you could really dig deep into this work with a number of groups. And and like uh, Janet, you said earlier, quantifying and qualifying the the results of this type of therapy. And Janet, I want to bounce back to you. I know something you do involves journaling and heart music combined. Now, is this part of the horse-related retreats or is this sometimes separate or is it all combined with each retreat? It's combined with each retreat. So if you come for a single day retreat, what you will find once we've had the opportunity to greet you and perhaps do a brief mindfulness activity, you're going to head Mm -hmm. right on out to the arena and begin your first EAP session with Susan and the equine specialist. That activity and the debriefing that is facilitated by Susan, that follows that, that all takes place in the arena. It takes about an hour. Mm -hmm. Get a little break, and then you'll go back for your second equine-assisted psychotherapy session. Following that debriefing, meanwhile, I'm having the harp and the journals all set up, and when you come in from that second horse activity, the harp is playing, and it is setting the stage for a transition in activity. So we start by introducing the skill of journaling. We usually have a couple of people who have journaled before, but it's typical that many have not or have not in any type of a consistent way. So we just touch on a couple of the, um, a couple of the no ground rules when it comes to journaling. And we have an assortment of journals and each participant can then go and choose the journal that they want, the one that reflects themselves. And we also make colored pencils available for anyone who would prefer to draw rather than write. And we'll have a a session that I underscore with uh, original and improvisational harp music. And while that's happening, I'm asking and posted in our, our gathering area are the questions that we're going to use, our journal prompts for the journaling mm-hmm. session. So we would typically 
have time for four or five questions in, in one session. And we'll start with a warm-up, uh, a, a nice, friendly, get the juices flowing um, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would that be and why? Um, mm-hmm. Then we might, we will move on to more focused questions based on the goals that and the desired outcomes that have been established for that group. We might say something like, um, what is something you would do if you knew you could not fail? So let's start there. Then we can move into what is one step you can take to move toward that thing that you desire. So we we work it like that. And what the HARP is doing is helping to influence the um, emotional process that each participant Mm -hmm. is experiencing. And that's something unique with live HARP music. We, we know that the harp vibrates in a way that resonates with the long muscle fibers of the body. And what live harp music allows is to create an upbeat type of an underscore, keep things in a positive direction. Then when we want to get a little more reflective, a little more introspective, the tempo will change. We'll incorporate more space between the notes. It's, it's not silence. It's space between the notes. And it's giving the mind and the heart a chance to connect and a chance to record of what is going on within that individual. We encourage them to be specific. Um, for example, if they're going to take a step towards a further step toward restoration, um, an answer would not be, I'm going to email my friends. Uh, a, 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 an answer might be, I am going to contact this particular person and talk to them about XYZ. So we want them to be as specific as possible. Um, and both with music and with journaling, it's really been the last 20 years where we're starting to see some solid research occurring. And that's wonderful. We know intuitively that music affects us. We, we have a response to it. It's innate. Um, for as long as there's been humanity, there have been musical components, but now there is the technology to better understand what is going on in the brain, and there's a a phrase used, music as medicine, and that's the direction of of the future, and it's the direction we're in now. Um, Johns Hopkins has a center for music and medicine. And so uh, we have MRIs and PET scans and things that can help us understand what's going on because the challenge with music is it, it illuminates so many parts of the brain simultaneously that it makes it very difficult to study. Mm -hmm. Wow, what a wonderful explanation. Thanks for diving so deep there. I was going to ask you about the the physiologic effects Mm -hmm. of heart music and why the resonance and pitch of heart is so perfect. And I've known many people who, who, or I do know people even now who do some sort of sound healing, either with singing bowls, you know, crystal bowls. I have a friend in California who does 
harp um, as music therapy, often in hospice settings. Mm -hmm. So I've heard a lot about the harp music from her. So I'm glad to hear you really take a deeper dive here. It's really helpful. Yes, and the sound bowls that you mentioned, anything Mm -hmm. with vibration. It doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. a harp, but what's Mm -hmm. happening is that when sound comes into our ear, um, basically it's the vestibulocochlear nerve is now talking Mm -hmm. to the vagus nerve. And the mm-hmm. vagus nerve is, is sending an explosion of information to the parasympathetic nervous system. So if we think sympathetic, fight or flight, involuntary, and then we think parasympathetic, this is what's trying to help our body not be overworked and to restore the body to a calm and composed state. And so mm. all of this is happening. Uh, every sound we hear, it's sending information to the vagus nerve. And, and interestingly, um, we have had a participant who is intrigued by the crunching sound the horses make when they're eating hay. And th- I'm there. I'm very much like that person. <laughs> and that's that's a, I'm I I there is this is not in the literature, but my my um, anecdotal comment on that is going to be there is something about that sound that triggers relaxation. And that's also what's behind all of these apps you're seeing about calm. It's called calm and all these Mm -hmm. different apps that you can listen to. It's all connected to that very point. Wow. You know what? I'm so glad you mentioned that because I didn't mention this earlier when I said I like hanging around horses and donkeys. One of my very, very favorite things is like giving a horse uh, or a donkey a handful of of straw or hay um, or alfalfa or giving them a carrot and and actually listening to the crunch. And it's funny, I'll, I'll reveal something else. My We used to have a dog named Sparky and my sister, who's actually on the board of Horse and Heart, she introduced us. She'll <laughs> remember my dog Sparky. And Mary and I used to love to, um, we would make him toast. He loved buttered toast. And we'd give him pieces of toast and just listen to the sound. And there was something so satisfying about that sound. And there's, and I've often remarked to people who know me well, like here in the desert, walking out in the Aurelios, there's this crunchy sound of the gravel when you walk. And there's something about that sound that it's like, I could listen to that sound for hours. And you, and I just want to want to go off on one more tangent. Um, this isn't about crunching, but on a recent episode, episode 291 with Dr. Jonathan Fisher, he is known as the Happy Heart MD. He's his clinical uh, cardiologist, and he's in the Southeast. I think he's in North Carolina, not that far from you, actually. And he does mindfulness work with healthcare providers. And we talked on this episode, you might want to check it out, about the relationship between the metaphoric and energetic heart and the physical heart and the physiological processes in the heart. So there's another guest from the Nurse Keith show who I have to introduce you to. He's a wonderful man. Um, And he didn't pay me to say that. So anyway, the one thing Jonathan said in that episode, which blew my mind because I'm into words, is that the vagus nerve, he said, comes from the etymological root of the word wanderer because it wanders from the brain all the way down through the body. Oh, did you know yeah, that one? I did not know that. So it's the wanderer. The wanderer. And I just found that, the vagabond, I found that really 
intriguing. So we're 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 crossing a lot of um. There, there's a lot of interprofessional and inter um, disciplinary conversation going on here. And this is wonderful. And I want to ask Susan to bounce now off of what Janet just was relating. Janet, I mean, Susan, how do horses react to the heart? And have you done any research or have any anecdotal um, notions that you can share with us about the horse and the harp combined? Does anything happen there that you've noticed? Yes, there has been. In fact, uh, we, we have not put the harp in the arena with the horses. We're a little bit afraid to do that because okay. they might get so curious that they might damage the harp. However, every time Janet plays and the, plays the harp, we have one particular horse comes up to the arena and just stands there and listens. Hmm. And this is the horse that is the most active, interactive horse of the group, the one that's always in your face. But when Janet plays the harp, he comes to the arena and listens from the from the arena into the barn. Hmm. And then Janet came and put the harp in the in the stall area one day where they were all there. And they all just were very curious and they just kind of sat there and listened and watched her. And so I think it's as soothing to the horses as it is to the people. Yeah. I, I can only imagine what's happening for them physiologically, which is probably a lot like us. There might be a little release of dopamine. Um, there might be a um, decrease of cortisol levels or the heart rate decreases. I mean, I can feel it in my own body just talking with you all right now. I can actually, I can feel what that would feel like to have that experience. And I know that when I'm, or I, I know that in my own life, I use music therapeutically. I listen to a lot of what we might call ambient music very beautiful music that can also can be in the background you know it's ambient but often i will put it on and i'll select a certain piece of music for a certain purpose and i tend to listen very it's it's not a passive type of listening it's a different type of listening and janet i'm sure that happens sometimes with you where when you select a certain type of music or a certain piece something very specific can happen for someone, can't it? Yes, it, it can. And part of what anyone who uses live music to reach mm -hmm. individuals in, I will say it's a therapeutic setting. I, I don't want to confuse that with I am not a music therapist. And I right, am not right. a certified music practitioner who is the type of practitioner who does live therapeutic music at the bedside, as we mm -hmm. mentioned, and in hospice. And um, so I, I am not doing that. But in our therapeutic setting, I'm very much watching the group and reading the group as they are journaling to decide where am I going to go next? And mm. that is the principle of entrainment. So it's the idea back in the 17th century, some Dutch physicist mm -hmm. put a bunch of pendulum clocks together and by their proximity, they synchronized. And 
live music, the value of it, the, the benefit of it over, well, why don't we just play some CDs of harp music during horse and harp? Why is it important to have a live instrument? And it, it is that principle of entrainment. It's that same idea uh, if you find yourself bopping to a certain song or tapping your foot or, mm-hmm. or um, swaying side to side, you are in training with that music. And it's interesting, sometimes at the end of a session, someone will come up to me and comment on a particular piece of music that really um, affected them. And in our setting, I prefer, and I'm careful to not use any known music because I don't know the individuals who are coming and who are serving. And um, just as an example, Pachelbel, Canon and D, how many weddings have you gone to where you have heard Canon and D? Well, if your marriage is solid and strong and you are happy, if I played Canon and D, you're going to have really warm and wonderful thoughts. Mm -hmm. But if your marriage didn't make it or you've lost your spouse and I play Canon and D, that's going to bring another layer of heartache. I don't know the good memories, the bad memories associated with known pieces of music. And that's why I write the music that I use for Horse and Harp. That's wonderful. And you two are doing such incredible work. And I know that your faith is very important. You both come from a Christian background. And do, is there, is there one piece of your, your faith that you feel really ties directly into this for you, Susan? Is there one particular thing you'd like to share? When I'm in the arena with people and I see some of the changes that happen when I see what the horses do. Mm-hmm. The only way I can explain that is spiritual. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just the acts of the Holy Spirit because mm. that's I can't explain it. And the horse hasn't been trained to do what they do. Yeah. But somehow that horse has stepped in and given that client the support, the love, the security, whatever it is that that client needs. The horse has stepped in and done it. And I can't explain that. Mm-hmm. It's got. It's just got to. It's it's a spiritual thing. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And and for you, Janet, is there one piece you'd like to share in terms of how your faith intersects with the work that you do? When I look at the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. he had mm-hmm. a heart for the marginalized. He had a heart for the oppressed and for the outsider, if you will. And many times when we are up against it in life, it's hard to find someone who will care about that and not be tired of it and not want to avoid us because she might talk about that again. Mm -hmm. And I hope to translate that. I may only be with you for a day. I am not going to change your life, but for that day that you are with us, can we care about you as the one who might not be marginalized from society, but might feel Mm -hmm. marginalized or oppressed in the path you are walking? And how can uh, we communicate the love of Christ directly or indirectly, Mm -hmm. um, to say we're coming alongside you to help you navigate your healing journey. Mm, That's lovely. That's lovely. And I'm I'm so glad that my sister Janice um, 
down there in, in Norcross, Georgia, connected us. Yes. And she's on the board of Horse and Farm. She is. And she thought that your mission would really resonate with a lot of my audience. And I, there are many nurses of faith, many, many, many nurses of faith. And then there are nurses who, who are highly spiritual, but might not have a specific faith like myself. And I think there's still, there's, there's something there in this work that you're doing, no matter where someone's coming from, they could see it from the psychotherapeutic aspect. If they want to look at that way, we could look at it physiologically. If we would like to, we can look at it through what Susan said about that feeling of spirit and, and connection and, and then the healing that you bring Janet. So Thank you all so much for bringing this to our attention. And it's horseandharp.org. We'll have it in the show notes. And I hope you all might be able to send me a video or some photos we can put in the show notes as well. And is there any social media presence where people can find you as well? We currently do not have a social media presence. And there's Mm -hmm. two reasons for that. One, we have to protect some of the folks that come to our retreats. Uh, it's a matter of confidentiality for their particular right. setting. And at this time, um, as I mentioned earlier, it, we work really well by collaborating with existing mm-hmm. organizations or hospitals rather than posting a sign-up type of thing to the population at large. So at this juncture in our development, we we don't have a following on Twitter or Instagram. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That's, I completely understand. Well, you know, sometime in the future, I'd love to have you all back um, when maybe you have some more research or something new has happened, or we could circle back to talk about, you know, people you've worked with from the healthcare field who've are recovering from, you know, COVID-19 related, pandemic related work, maybe later in 2021. So we'll circle back to discuss this more. And, and I can't thank you both enough. This has been so, so wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting us to be here. Thank you. And I want to make a spontaneous offer that if there are two people out there who are listening to this episode, if you donate $100 tax deductible to horseandharp.org and Janet and Susan or and or you let me know that you've made that, then I will give you two hours of coaching um, as my thank you for thank supporting you. Horse and Park. Thank so you. two people, if you would like to do that, if you're moved, um, please consider doing it. Thank you. Thank you. So there you have it. Thanks for listening to this wonderful episode of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember, the show notes and all you can learn about Janet and Susan and Horson Park can be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 297. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered and maybe very relaxed like I do. I've had quite the relaxation response here. Take some inspired action in the interest of your personal and professional development and also your personal healing and your professional healing as well. And if you need some personalized coaching from me, you can get a 10% discount by mentioning the show 
when you get in touch. But if you give $100 to Horse and Hark, and Janet lets me know that you did so, you could get two hours of coaching, which is an incredible discount. And I would be so grateful to you for supporting the organization. The Nurse Keith Show is a member of Ours Along the Media, a collaborative network of podcasts, media entities, and others whose aim is to add a humanistic touch to professional education, to educate the public from a scientifically informed perspective, and improve lives by partnering to address social ills. Check us out at arslonga.media. That's A-R-S-L-O-N-G-A.media. The Nurse Keith Show is also a very proud member of the Health Podcast Network, alongside the Mayo Clinic, New England Journal of Medicine, Penn Nursing, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, and others. And it's one of the largest and fastest growing collections of authoritative, high-quality podcasts taking on the tough topics in health and care with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. The Nurse Keith Show is produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting. Thank you, Rob. And Mark Cappies-Beeson is our stalwart social media ringmaster. Thank you to Mark. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And Janet Lombardo bidding you adieu from? Leeds, Georgia. Georgia and Susan Young bidding you adios from Onyers, Georgia. All right. Well, thank you both so much. You all are incredible. And we will catch everyone on the flip side.